let me see if I've got this straight. God is big, like really big, but he's also in the small things. We can't see him, and yet he's incredibly close. His character never changes, but at the same time, we can't predict what he's going to do. He's got control over everything, but we can still make our own choices. He is all powerful and good, but evil still exists in the world. He's a God of justice, yet he loves everyone and forgives anyone who asks. And all of that is supposed to make sense? It's a good question, isn't it? That's all supposed to make sense? I'll tell you something that doesn't make sense, and I'm glad, and that's this. The generosity of the people of God expressed through this church. Uh, let me just tell you what I'm talking about. At Christmas Eve every year, we take an offering and we give away what comes in to a, a partner outside of here, either in the local area or across the world. And this past year, we took an offering up that we were given to two of our church partners in the Middle East, one a church in Beirut and one in Cairo, Egypt. And this is what I want to say. This is unbelievable. You guys, this is what God did. We gave... $260,000 to help these two churches do the ministry and the work of the kingdom. It is incredible. A quarter of a million dollars for people that you don't know. And many of them you'll never meet and they don't know you. That's a wild thing that God's spirit compels us to be the church together. And I just want to say, I am super, super glad to be a part of this with you guys. So with that as kind of our start, let me, let me catch you up on what we're going to be doing today for the next few minutes. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those online, love to have you as part of this. For those of you in the room or at any of our campuses, Waxhaw Valentine, we got Fort Mill outdoors today. So they get Jonathan and you guys get... Well, at least you get like heat and indoors, you know, so that's good. But every week, an outdoor service is happening at one of our campuses with live preaching and worship. So if that's better for you to be able to engage, we just want to make sure you know about that. But today, we're going to continue this series called God Doesn't Make Sense to Me. And my, the truth is, and my guess is that for many of us in this place, we've said those words sometime over the last 12 months. Like, God, the way you did or didn't, how you acted or, or didn't, what you allowed or stopped, it just doesn't make sense to me. I just, I don't quite get it. The truth is that every time we have one of those moments, and especially when we have a doubt about who or how God is, that doubt should not stop us or keep us from continuing further asking questions. In fact, Richard Rohr says this, that the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. It's when you believe with certainty something that you don't need faith to help you move forward. So actually, doubt, every time you have an opportunity to explore that doubt, it is a doorway to a potential deeper faith. So asking questions or explaining even to God that you just don't make sense right now can be a really good thing. Last week, in fact, we said this. We talked about the idea that if we're gonna brag about something, we should actually brag about getting to know God more and more. And so we're still in the early phases of a brand new year. And some of us made resolutions that we're gonna be bragging about. 
Some of us are not gonna be bragging as much. And I hope that you do all the things that you set out to do. But what if at the end of this year, you could brag that you know God better than when you started? 2,500 years ago, a guy named Jeremiah wrote these words, Jeremiah 9, 24. The one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. That is kind of the backdrop for this whole series. That in a world that desperately asks for and we feel compelled to bring action, maybe this year the best thing for us to do is start with understanding. Understanding who God is and let that inform what we do next. So today we are talking about two aspects of God's character that seem to be in conflict, seem to be in tension. On the one hand, we're going to be looking at God's justice and on the other, we're looking at God's mercy. And it feels like someone who is all justice, which if you hadn't watched last week, you need to go back and watch that message. Jonathan did a great job setting this whole thing up to say that God is 100% everything that he is. So it's not like God is some uh, smashed up ratio of a little bit of love, a little bit of justice, a little bit of mercy, a little bit of holy. He's 100% all of those things. And somehow, Particularly what I want to show you today is that justice and mercy work together in perfect harmony. And before we go about trying to do justice, which the Bible commands us to do, to love mercy, which the Bible commands us to do, we need to know a little bit more about how God views it. So we're going to spend some time looking at God's definition of justice and mercy. I'm going to challenge us a little bit. Just know it. I'm going to push. I'm going to poke a little And then hopefully by the end of our time together today, we'll be able to walk out saying, we understand maybe this much more about how God wants us to live this life that he's called us to as followers of Jesus. And maybe for you, you'll be able to walk out saying, you are drawn just one step closer into who God wants you to be. So we're gonna start with this verse. There are tons of verses all over scripture, Old and New Testament, about God's justice and mercy. We're gonna begin with Psalm 103, and I'm gonna ask if you're able, wherever you are, even if you're at home, would you stand up and we're gonna read these words together. Psalm 103, verses six through 14, I'm reading from the CSB. And as you hear these words, I want you to listen for characteristics of God's justice and mercy. See what it says to you. It says, the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that we are made what we are made out of, remembering that we are dust. Father, I pray that you would let these words and the truth of what you want to tell us about who you are 
speak loudly today to each of us where we are and that we would have the courage to listen and to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. It's appropriate that we're talking about justice this weekend. Uh, as we mentioned, this is Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend. And, and MLK was a man who firmly believed in a standard, a definition of justice that was in line with God's own definition. A man who worked hard to see that come in a way that would be uh, accessible to all people. And, and one of the things that's so important about him as a pastor, he, in a time when there was all kinds of temptation and pressure to use unjust methods to reach just means, he chose the way of God's justice. And that's really, really important. It's why he stands out and as a legacy for all of us who want to do justice work. But it's also important for us, if we're going to follow in those kind of footsteps, to be able to understand this definition of God's justice on God's terms, not on our own. Because that's really the question, is whose definition of justice are we using? When we talk about mercy, whose definition of mercy are we using? Um, a real basic definition of justice, and you can understand this no matter how old you are, uh, it would be this. Justice is people get what they deserve, good or bad, punishment or reward, in a just world, you get what's coming to you. We talk about this all the time, like the law of reciprocity, that, that the universe, our communities, our relationships, whatever, it should just get what you've earned and that that's justice. And in a perfectly just world, regardless of someone's background or, or how they got to that moment, regardless of the things that could separate and cause division, everybody would get exactly what they deserve. That's what justice seems to mean. And, and for us, that desire for justice is actually a clue. It's a clue to the fact that we are made in God's image. The reason you and I want that, the reason we get angry when someone acts unjustly toward us or towards anybody else is actually because we're made in God's image. If you were not actually fashioned and formed after the nature of God, we probably would be way more like the natural world that's just the strong win, strong eats weak, right? It would just be the law of blood and claw. And yet we believe as humans that there is such a thing as justice. Same with mercy. We believe that some people deserve mercy. The problem for us is we have a real difficult time knowing when to give which one. And it's largely based on the fact that our understanding of justice, um, it has got some flaws in it. I want to show you a picture. You know uh, Lady Justice, the, the statue that adorns many of our court systems. This comes from uh, an idea of justice that's been true in human culture all throughout time. Even like the Roman ancient culture had a, someone named Justitia. And the, the way that they view this person, you know it, it's a woman with scales in one hand. And those scales represent the balance of getting what you deserve, good or bad. And then she's blindfolded because that's to show that we are unbiasedly offering that. And then she's got this real curious thing. There's a sword in her hand. Now, the sword is meant to, uh, to show the authority that justice has to execute whatever is deemed right. But I think that's actually a clue to how you and I often start to define justice. The sword 
to me represents violence. See, what I think about is this idea that many of us, we actually don't really want justice. When something is done wrong, what we want to do is get rid of this negative emotion of anger that we feel at being wronged or seeing wrong. We want to drain that emotion out of us. And what happens too often, and we've seen it this year, we saw it two weeks ago at our Capitol building, we've seen it at at protests and riots throughout the country this year, that we too often leave justice and go straight for violence because I just want to stop feeling like this. And we allow this version this definition of justice that's our own, but not God's, to try to get applied. Same thing happens with mercy. We're just unable to consistently apply that. What we really want is mercy for me and justice for you, right? I mean, we can be honest, we're in church. Mercy for me, justice for you. Uh, When I was 22 years old, I remember going to this uh, July 4th party. It was a really great party. Everything was right. It was at this apartment complex that had a great pool. There were grills going. The music was right. All the right people are there. And about 1130 at night, when we opened up the bags of fireworks and started setting them off in the apartment complex courtyard, it was amazing. And right about the time the cops got there and were asking us about Uh, the legality, how much justice we wanted from firing these fireworks off. I'm thinking as a 22-year-old, like, who are these people that would call the cops on us? Like, we're just having fun. Like, what's wrong with you? How old are you? And then I was 32, and I had a baby and a dog. And at nine o'clock at night, when these guys who clearly didn't have a job or a life started shooting fireworks, I've got the phone in the hand calling, right? Reporting them. This is, I wanted mercy for me and justice for you. Same thing happens when you're driving. My wife, Jessica, actually believes that we uh, are our most true selves when we're in the car driving by ourselves, Or maybe she just means I am. But... I think you'll get this. Have you ever been, you know, you're driving down the road and it's the, the two lanes and, and the left lane is the one that everybody's got to be in. The right lane's going to end. And you see those jerks that like go fat, flying past you on the right, knowing they have to get over on the left. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen them. You've probably been them before. And we're so angry at that. Like, how dare you get in front of me? until I'm in a city that I don't know very well and I'm caught in the right lane or I'm late to pick up the kids or for whatever, right? And then it's like, come on, let me over and show some mercy. Everybody's got that story. Driving down the road, the car in front of you that's going 25 and you're screaming at and the car behind you that's mad and you're saying, give me a break. That's us. We want mercy for us, justice for you. Jesus told a parable story about how this is true of human behavior. It's in Matthew 18, and I just want to tell you this story because I think it gives us some real insight as we begin to explore what mercy and justice, the interplay of those look like for God and how we should mimic those, how we should express those. I think it's real instructive. The story goes like this. There's a master who at the end of the year is going to settle up all the accounts with his people. And he calls them in and one by one, he's going through the servants and he's asking them uh, how much they owe. And he gets to this one servant and the guy, I don't even know how this is possible. The guy owes, we're told 10,000 talents. It's like $6 billion or something. Like an incredible amount that he owes to the master, probably gotten through some way of kind of skirting the rules. And this huge debt is around his neck. And the master says, 
There's no way you can, how did this happen? Here's what we're gonna have to do. I'm throwing you and your entire family in jail until you can pay this thing off. That's the only just thing to do. The master was owed it. The servant owed the master the just thing to do. The way to reach balance was to have the servant repay it. But the servant falls to his knees and we're told he begs the master, please just give me a little more time. Just give me mercy, please. Don't put us in jail. And the, and the master has this moment of God-like compassion. And he tells the servant, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll absorb the cost. You don't have to pay it back. The debt's canceled. Pretty amazing day. I mean, I can't even imagine owing $6 billion, but whatever that would be like, the guy walks out and you can, you can just see it. He's skipping down the road, whistling a tune. He comes across a guy who's renting a house from him and the guy owes him two months rent that he's laid on. And we're told that this newly forgiven servant grabs the man by the throat. And this is why I think that sword, that violent idea is so important. He grabs him by the throat and you know exactly what that feels like because you've been there too where someone's done something wrong and you just, I just wanna uh, punch him in the nose. He begins to choke the person who owes him two months rent. How in the world could you get behind two months? That, that guy begs for mercy as well. Please, just give me a little time. I'll get it taken care of. And this newly forgiven servant, we are told, says, no. We're putting you all in jail until you can pay this back. Can you imagine that? Other servants hear about it and, and they go and, and tell the master what's happened and, and he brings him back in and in a terrifying end to one of Jesus' stories that he's comparing the kingdom of God to, he says, this is what happens when you don't show mercy when you've been shown it yourself. He takes the servant and he throws him in jail and he tortures him until every last penny is paid. I don't like, I mean, that story works really well if you got small kids that you need to like get their behavior managed, right? Just don't tell it at night because that kind of, the nightmares that come from being tortured in jail are choked. But Jesus uses stuff that we get at a deep level to explain the interplay of justice and mercy and what he expects. Was the master just within his rights to demand repayment? Absolutely. Was the servant just right to demand repayment? Absolutely. But in that moment, mercy was supposed to triumph. This parable, I think, is the filter for understanding what's happening around in our world today and our demand for justice. It shows us why and how we go about trying to apply our own definition to the situations that we deem deserve the law of reciprocity. But before we just think, what a terrible guy, and just blow on past that, I just wanna ask you and me to pause right this moment and say, is there some place in your life that you're exhibiting this kind of behavior? Some place where you've been let off the hook, forgiven, shown mercy, and yet, you're acting with someone else as if they could never repay that debt and demanding payment. For me personally, I grew up in the church, knew a lot about God, 
came to faith early and then ran away from it as fast and as far as I could go. And it was interesting that there came a point where God just confronted me and engaged me with his mercy in a new way. And he, he said, it's here for you to take. And, and I, I chose to say yes. And I experienced the mercy of God and I came back to faith. And what I have realized, if I'm honest, and this is not, it doesn't feel good to admit this, but, but maybe you get it too. I fell straight out of being like the debaucherous rebel into the judgmental justice demander. And I looked at other people, demanded something from them that I was not willing or able to give before. Are you in that place? I think it's important for us before we go out and do justice, that we stop and think about how does God view the balance of justice and mercy. Here's the thing. There is no standard of justice out there that God is trying to live up to. There's no ideal outside of him that God is attempting to, to look at all his own actions and say, is that just or not? Should I do that or not? God is, here's the definition of justice. God always does what is morally right because he is the standard of what is right. Flowing out of his infinite goodness and righteousness and holiness and some other characteristics we're gonna talk about in the coming weeks, flowing out of that, whatever God does is right. It's always just. The problem is you and I look at it through a, a momentary filter. We only see this much or with our finite minds and we go, but you allow that to happen and that doesn't seem fair. And we apply a moment to God's character of justice in forever. He's got all of eternity to work out and he promises that he will make every wrong right. This is good news if you've been wronged in a really big way. He promises that one day nothing will go outside of justice because he himself is just, he's always balancing the scales. And here's his definition of mercy. Divine compassion, kindness, grace and goodness to people in misery and distress, here's the key, even those worthy of punishment. Even the ones, especially the ones who deserve to get what they've earned. We have examples of God exhibiting this kind of mercy all over the Bible. It's crazy. Just real quick, um, Noah. In, in the Bible, in the very first pages, Noah 6, that we're told the world is already so evil because of the fall of man and the introduction of sin. The world is so messed up that we're told these words, that every person only ever had evil thoughts all the time. That's a lot of qualifiers. Imagine living in a world where every person only always had evil thoughts. Some of you think that's where we are right now, Right? God was just in that moment to declare judgment and say, I'm wiping them all out and starting over. But then he looked in mercy at Noah and his sons and he said, I'm gonna pick you, we're starting with you. He showed mercy in that moment. Same thing with the people of Israel. Uh, remember God rescues them out of Egypt and Moses leads them out. And it's this amazing thing, miracles and all kind of stuff that you couldn't expect. And they get to the foot of the mountain about just a few miles outside of where they were slaves. And Moses goes up to get the rules for what's next, the, the big 10. And while he's up there, the people forget everything that God just did and they make an idol out of gold in the shape of a calf and they're like worshiping. Now we read that and we're like, that's crazy. 
how quickly in that moment do we forget what he's done? And then what does God do? He looks down at first and he's like, that's it, I'm wiping him out. And Moses goes, no, for your namesake, show mercy. And he does. Rahab, a prostitute living in a city about to be destroyed in judgment by God, in humility comes and, and wants to be a part of his family kingdom. And he shows her mercy. King David, the biggest mess up, but also one of the most amazing men who ever lived, steals somebody's wife, gets her pregnant, murders the guy. You remember the story? Unbelievable. What did he deserve? Judgment for justice. God shows mercy. We can keep going. Saul, that was persecuting the church, gets his name changed to Paul and becomes a part of the family. Peter denies Jesus at his darkest moment and gets restored. Over and over, this, the, the scriptures are littered with examples of God choosing to give mercy. And then there's a million other ones like you and me. And, and here's the thing. Th this verse, I was looking at this this week, and it is just, it's just stuck out to me. Isaiah 30, 18 and 19 says this. This is why we have all these examples. It says, therefore, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. It's like God is on, I can't wait to give him this. Come on. Justice is gonna be done, but I really wanna give mercy. I think it's like God is predisposed to give mercy. He is rising up, standing up from his throne to show you compassion, for he is a just God and all who wait patiently for him are happy. God is the perfect embodiment of justice and mercy. Justice will ultimately be done, but he always wants to give mercy. In fact, those two things, judgment and mercy, are the two tools that he uses to get to justice. If justice is balancing the scales, getting what's deserved, then either you're going to get there through judgment that comes on wrong behavior or mercy somehow. And that's where our brains can't grasp this. So God does it in a way that is crystal clear in the cross. The cross of Jesus is the most mind-blowing, breathtaking example of how God chooses to allow both his justice and mercy to meet. Because think about this. Uh, Jesus said in John 3 that anyone who, who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who doesn't is condemned already. Meaning the entire world is already under the judgment, is moving toward the justice of God. Because just like Noah's day, we all are messed up. We've all been rebels. We all deserve what we're about to get. And, and all of it is gonna be taken care of. And God, we're told in scripture, in the former days passed over a whole bunch of sins. Leading up to Jesus, he had like looked over it, allowed it to slide, we think, it seems. He had chosen not to deal with it right at that moment. You do that with your kids, like I'm not dealing with you now, but I will deal with you later. That's God. And we come to Christ's perfect, innocent life and God himself through Jesus decides that I will take the judgment that will bring the justice. And he is tortured and beaten and ripped apart and nailed to a cross and the blood flows out of him and the anger of God at the sin, just like our anger that we wanna drain out through violence, the anger that God had at our sin and brokenness drains away at the cross. And then the mercy comes. 
God says, this is insane. And I don't care how many times you have heard this. Don't let this just fly over your head in this moment. God in his mercy says, I will take my own sacrifice as payment, as balancing the scales. And I will mercifully allow you to receive that as your part, as what you owe. I will step into the scales myself if you'll just simply trust and receive it. See, that unforgiving servant in the parable, he was given mercy, but that's not what he took. God gave him mercy, but he didn't take it. What he took were the benefits of God's merciful nature of the master's merciful nature. That's how some of us as believers have done. We've been willing to take the benefits of God's mercy. We've been willing to allow the truth of the gospel to just say, deal with my guilt because I've been, I've been holding the shame and I've been holding the guilt of, of all this stuff that I know I can't overcome, that I can't deal with. And I just want to stop feeling guilty. But we didn't pick up and allow mercy to permeate our soul. So when we go to do justice, we do it on our own definition, so the way that God chose to do it for us. I know this is deep and heavy and hard. Because you ask, like, Jason, what are you saying? I'm saying that as we move out and do justice, love, mercy, and walk humbly with our God, as we live, those of us who are Jesus followers, and work tirelessly for justice to come, we do it like God did. Remembering how we've been shown mercy. And that doesn't always feel like the end that we were after. But somebody has to absorb the cost. Anytime something's broken, uh, let me give you an example. Um, if you come over and borrow my car and take it out for the night, which I would gladly let you take my car, all of you. What, I mean, just come, come on. Um, I would gladly let you take it and use it. If you came back and it's wrecked, there's a momentary option where, where justice is gonna be done. Somebody's gonna pay for the car. Either I'm gonna make you do it or I'm gonna say, it's all right, I'll absorb the cost. That's what God in Christ did at the cross for every single one of us. So justice has been done. And every time through his mercy, he justifies a sinner who by grace, through faith, through trusting this says, I'll take that offer. I'll take your life, Jesus. Every time he's still just. This is what, whether you are seven or 97 today, don't miss the chance to get in touch with the mercy of God. Because the question is like, what's going in that scale? The justice of God is hanging there and what's in the balance on one side for you before we move out, just on us. What's in the balance on one side are all of our failures and sin. And you can put in the other scale, either yourself or you can allow Jesus in that. That's mercy. This is the good news. This is the message that we have to give a world that says, but I can't wait to see that, and we move towards them and we say, I'll work alongside you, with you, but let's first talk about this mercy issue. Have you experienced it? So that's my question for us today. Before we go to application, I'm gonna wrap this up. I just wanna ask you this, like, would every single one of you 
watching in another campus in here, would you right now ask, what am I putting in the scale? Am I allowing the mercy of God to be something that I receive, not just something that I know about, not just benefits that I take? And maybe today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus' offer. If that's the case, I want a real, real easy step. You can text Jesus to this number that's on the screen, 888-217-3471. And when, that, when you do, this is what happens. Somebody's gonna get back to you with a text. We can make it as personal, like a phone call as you want, or we can keep it at a distance just over text. But we wanna help you with asking questions and, and walking you through this this incredible story that Jesus said is yours to have. This abundant life he says is yours to have. We just wanna help you take steps and then get connected. I'd love it if today was the day that some of you chose that step and said, I just wanna surrender to this mercy. Folks, here's the truth. The big idea is this. We can work for kingdom justice only if and when we've received the king's mercy. Otherwise, we end up with everybody trying in their own definition to do what they think is right in their own eyes and what it ends up being is a sword. So for Christians, I wanna call us today to embrace all that God brings in his justice and mercy. Personally first, I'm gonna close with this quote from Martin Luther King Jr his book, Strength to Love, he talks about this fact that we need both the love and the justice of God, the mercy and the justice. He says this, at times, we need to know that the Lord is a God of justice. When slumbering giants of injustice emerge in the earth, we need to know that there's a God of power who can cut them down like grass. But there are also times when we need to know that God possesses love and mercy. And when we are staggered by the chilly winds of adversity and battered by disappointment and through our folly and sin, we find ourselves far away. We need to know there is someone, and this is for you, who loves and cares for us, understands us, and will give us another chance. When days grow dark and nights grow dreary, we can be thankful that our God combines in his nature the love and justice that will lead us through that dark valley and into sunlit paths of hope. Will you let this be true for you today? Let's, let's pray together and allow God to show us where we need to apply it in our own lives. So join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word, which is this packed record of your mercy and your justice. God, there are folks watching and, and in a room in one of our camps that, that need to know that you see and you will not allow things to forever go undealt with, that you will one day make every right, that you will end injustice, that we can therefore, as your word says, trust you to allow vengeance, allow the sword to be yours. But God, would you help us to know that so often when you choose that, we get pointed back to a cross where the sword of judgment was used on you. 
in our place and for our good. God, I pray that we would be people who love mercy as much as justice. That we'd be people who work for both. That you would move in people's hearts today, that we would, that we would embrace, that we'd drink deep and experience your mercy. Maybe for the first time and maybe for the first time in a long time. And then God, I pray that we would go out as beacons of hope, demonstrating the kind of love, Jesus, that you said marks life, real life. I pray this, asking you to give us courage to apply, wisdom to understand today what you wanted to say to us. I love you and we love you. It's in your resurrected name we pray.